Welcome to a special episode of Uprooted. I'm Josh Wise. Today is Global Fertilizer Day. And just recently, IATP released a paper on nanotechnology in the fertilizer industry by Dr. Steve Supan, who joins me now to talk about the paper. Steve, tell us why paying attention to the fertilizer industry is important. So, you know, Global Fertilizer Day is uh, a celebration by, uh, you know, fertilizer manufacturers and those who use fertilizer uh, because as they ask their 89,000 members to tweet, uh, fertilizer is uh, responsible for two out of every five lives on the planet in terms of, of, of feeding them, employing them. Um, but the fertilizer industry uh, has some, some major problems, uh, not the least of which is uh, environmental contamination of, uh, of rural and, uh, and urban municipal drinking water. So in, in addition to which, there, there's a, a problem with the efficient uptake by plants of, uh, of the nutrients in fertilizer because of uh, over-fertilization and, uh, and the taking of the unused fertilization by agricultural water, depositing it in streams and uh, emitting it as a, as a very potent greenhouse gas, nitrous oxide. And so, just in, in industrial agriculture, fertilizer is one of the main inputs in terms of costs, right? Well, in, in the, the USDA uh, estimates that uh, fertilizer costs are about 40% of operating costs. So this is a major, a major cost, especially for uh, nitrogen-hungry uh, crops such as corn. So right now, even though fertilizer is such a large input for farms, it's a largely unregulated industry. In many cases, we don't even know the technology that's being used in fertilizer. Can you talk about how that situation came to be? You know, it's a very large and powerful and, and necessary industry for uh, industrial scale agriculture, you know, very much like the pesticide industry. It, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not regulated in, in any kind of um, way where, you know, the government has controls over the application uh, of uh, a fertilizer and it would not be um, something that would be you know easy to do given uh, the current setup of the U.S. Department of Agriculture and the Environmental Protection Agency. So that's that's kind of the, the present the present situation but the unhappy fact of the matter is the past voluntary uh, stewardship uh, environmental stewardship efforts have not uh, worked well enough to um, reduce the, the nitrogen and phosphate load that results in these massive uh, algae blooms, for example. What now in, in Lake Erie, our, our report is illustrated with uh, one of those blooms, 700 square miles. Some of it is toxic. Uh, so, you know, the question is, uh, what is going to be done about this if the fertilizer industry and, and um, you know, some organizations such as the Farm Bureau are opposed pretty much in principle to regulation. Mm -hmm. And in addition to not really being regulated, uh, the increase in technology has also led to an increase in cost. So, you know, part of the, part of the cost issue has to do with um, the cost of the raw materials of fertilizer 
And um, these raw materials um, are becoming scarcer. You know, they talk about uh, peak phosphorus, for example. Um, and you know, to uh, you know, to some extent, the the, the cost of nitrogen-based fertilizers correlates with the cost of, of of gas and oil. Um, and so, you know, those costs uh, generally are not declining. Um, and then you have kind of the, the pressure of agricultural policy to produce more yield uh, in order to receive, uh, you know, counter-cyclical payments, at least in, in, in the United States, uh, to make up for the, um, the market failure uh, prices. For example, in the United States for corn are about 20%, 22% below the cost of production, uh, according to um, IATP's uh, report on agricultural export dumping, which derives its statistics from the USDA, uh, the US Department of Agriculture. So, you know, it's a, it's a very, very difficult situation. Farmers uh, are in a kind of uh, trap where they feel they have to uh, maximize their yield in order to get those countercyclical government payments to keep their farms afloat. I've heard you talk about the technology treadmill and uh, how the increase in technology leads to higher yields, but because the price stays so low, farmers are constantly having to improve technology, but they're not actually making any more money off of it. Yeah, I mean, it's in terms of uh, in the, the, tr the treadmill is an agricultural economic model um, first developed by uh, University of Minnesota professor Willard Cochran, um, who was also the chief, uh, chief economist during the Kennedy, Kennedy administration for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And it basically describes a situation in which, you know, early adopters of new agricultural technologies benefit, you know, for a very, for a very short while as more, uh, as more, you know, farmers, ranchers adopt a technology uh, you know, then the competitive advantage disappears and they're all once again underwater. Um, the United States has not had supply management program except in, uh, in cane and sugar beets uh, really since uh, the 1960s. And as a result, um, U.S. farmers and ranchers have greatly suffered from it. Um, I mean, it's a sad testimony to the state of uh, agricultural markets that farmers depend about 90% of farmers are working non-farm jobs uh, in order to keep their operations afloat. Right. So this has been uh, sort of a stream in our, in our work and in our, our podcasts is how intensive uh, agriculture for export is driving uh, climate change, driving water pollution, and forcing the consolidation of family farms. So let's talk about nanotechnology-enabled fertilizers. Explain how the basic process of nanotechnology in fertilizer uh, works, just at the top level. So, you know, there are, there are different applications. Um, maybe the most kind of avant-garde application is to uh, incorporate a, a nanobiosensor uh, into a film that coats the fertilizer nutrient. And the nanobiosensor um, it, it communicates with the root signals from the plants and uh, opens this biopolymer to release the nutrients sort of just in time and just in the amount the plant demands. This is um, uh, a, a con sort of a proof of concept 
a piece of research that's being uh, carried out by a, a very um, multidisciplinary Canadian research team. So that's that's you know that's kind of the um, the furthest from you know commercialization application. Um, another another application is to uh, modify clay um, with chemicals to become nanoclay and use that clay to bind up fertilizer nutrients. And the idea there is that um, the, you know, the, the nanochemical clay uh, retards the release of the, you know, in this case, the nitrogen. Um, that has, uh, you know, laboratory studies behind it and uh, at least you know one field trial study, and then the third the third uh, uh, approach to nanotechnology application that I discussed in the report is uh, using um, uh, nanotechnology to amend the soil. So you are basically <coughs> uh, mixing uh, nanoclays in the soil uh, and. The, the, uh, the, the nanoclays are activated by water. Uh, they restructure the soil into kind of nano, nano structures and, and micro, micron size structures that again, retard the release of nitrogen. And so, what your paper found was that this actually has for conventional agriculture, at least could be a positive thing. I, I, I think so. It's, it's not, it's not clear to me whether, um, the first, I mean, this still needs to be, you know, technically demonstrated as feasible. And then you have to ensure that the technology does not harm, uh, you know, the bacteria, the fungi, the protozoa that are the primary uh, engineers of soil health. Because if the chemicals that are being used to modify the nanoclays uh, harm soil health, well, then obviously the technology should not be deployed. Um, the other question, of course, is the, there's, the, there's the economic question of whether this can be made um, economically viable. There's also, you know, questions about, um, you know, how it will work in terms of, of uh, different applications. So I think, you know, a, a prudent release of the technology will um, certainly settle uh, uh, the environmental health questions, the economic questions, and also the questions of farmer health, right? Because you don't want to be uh, distributing uh, a, uh, a nanoscale uh, or nanotechnology-enabled fertilizer um, that farmers would, would be breathing and, uh, and, 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 you know, with, you know, likely result of, of uh, damage to their lungs. There's one, one technology uh, which binds... Um, a bioceramic uh, used in uh, in medical and dental applications, but this bioceramic uh, in other applications in laboratory studies of mice has been shown to cause lesions in the lungs. So, you know, something to worry about there. And just to close up, do you have any idea of what the timeline might be for when nano fertilizer would be uh, on the market in mass? Oh boy. <clears throat> I, I really don't. I, of course, if you uh, if you you know, go on the internet and uh, you know go to Alibaba, you know they'll tell you that there's already a, a nano fertilizer. You know, to, according to uh, people who are a lot smarter than me and do fertilizer research, 
they don't they don't believe that there's any commercial scale production of nano fertilizer. Yet one thing that is really, I mean, it's it's astonishing to me um, how much uh, opposition there is to uh, regulating fertilizer use or regulating water quality related to fertilizer use uh, when it's evident that past voluntary fertilizer stewardship efforts have not significantly reduced uh, contamination of agricultural water. For example, uh, nitrate water, if unfiltered, will produce something called the blue baby syndrome. Um, and, uh, and yet, um, the Fertilizer Institute uh, uh, supports the uh, Trump administration's suspension of the waters of the USA rule uh, uh, proposed in the Obama administration by the Environmental Protection Agency and um, it's quite unlikely that during, uh, the, uh, uh, during the Trump administration that the EPA will propose another rule. You know, so basically, uh, the EPA will leave it up to the Fertilizer Institute and its members to um, reduce uh, greenhouse gases and nitrate uh, contamination by voluntary means. So it's obviously something we need to pay close attention to in the upcoming months. If you want more information, including uh, reading Steve's blog on the nanotechnology fertilizer paper and the paper itself, visit www.iatp.org. Thanks a lot, Steve. Tune in next week for our normal podcast.